Good morning, everyone. Great to be with all of you this morning. So excited to be here with you again as we continue to explore the incredible wonders of God's Word and uh, what He reveals to us about Himself and about us and about our relationship with one another. So if you've been in church at all, uh, at any point in time during your kind of life journey on this planet, uh, especially if you were in Sunday school at some point, you know, some of you will know what that is, uh, you probably have heard uh, parts or all of this story. So there was a story that Jesus told uh, when He was on the planet uh, hanging out with some of His guys. There was a story about two boys. Uh, These two boys grew up in the same home. As far as we can tell from the story, uh, they grew up with a fantastic dad, just a really, really great dad. And and this particular dad uh, had apparently uh, done very well for himself. Uh, He had utilized that in a a great way to provide for his family. He had means because they had a a home and they had uh, people working for them that were employed by by the dad and just a a lot going on. The kind of of story you'd look at and go, that's a great story. And the two boys, one of the boys, the younger of the two, decided at some point uh, that he did not want to uh, uh, hang out with dad, uh, do the, the whole dad business and, and home business, wanted to go do his own thing. And so instead of waiting uh, for what was quote unquote due to him, the inheritance, he went to dad and said, can I just get it now? Because I want to go and do my own thing. And the dad uh, gave the inheritance to the younger son that was due that younger son at a later time. And if you've got more than one kid, you know, uh, sometimes when the younger children do something that's just, the, the older kids know, it's just, uh, it's just stupid, uh, then, then they'll voice that, you know, and I can just imagine the older son going, are you, are you out of your mind? You have everything here, everything, you have everything here, and you're going to go, and then just that whole idea that how can the dad not see this? Have you, you, you've been there, right? And the, I can imagine that older boy like, dad, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? He doesn't, he doesn't have the maturity to think this through. You and I both know that. But the dad gives the son the stuff. And the son heads out. And if you remember the story, the son uh, is an extremely uh, bad steward of what he's been given. And he squanders it, all of it. He, he wastes it because he didn't have maturity. And he ends up uh, in a very, very bad place. And so he decides to come home. In the meantime, before he comes home, the older son uh, taking the opportunity of the younger son behaving so foolishly, kind of goes the other direction. And he becomes really the dutiful son. I mean, if you looked at it from the outside and you walked and watched this house, you would say, this is the kind of kid that's just awesome. And I mean, he's loyal to the father. He, he works hard. He, he helps do the dishes. Uh, he's, he's around the house. He's taken on dad's business. Uh, and he's done everything necessary to demonstrate to dad, I'm with you. I'm for you. I am, I am the son you can count on. And so the younger son comes back, and he really comes back to ask if he could work as a servant in the the father's household, because that would be better than the life he got himself into, the mess he got himself into. And when he returns, the father does not allow him to be a servant in his household. He embraces him as a son, as the son he always was. In fact, he throws a giant party for him. And the older son is completely ticked off. Now, you might go, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. Not at all. It's not ridiculous at all. You and I would be equally ticked off. So don't, don't start going, oh, I can't, I can't. No, you would be ticked. Don't get me wrong. You've spent years faithfully serving the Father. You have poured yourself out for this household. You have demonstrated faithfulness and honor toward the dad. 
and Jerko brother goes out and, and does whatever he wants, doesn't work, doesn't serve, doesn't do anything, and he comes back and he seemingly receives more than the older brother even does, right? I mean, it, it almost seems like he's more celebrated. I mean, wouldn't you and I go, should have taken that inheritance, should have squandered it, should have lived it up. This is ridiculous because you know there is this sense in all of us that says, if I put forth the effort, put forth the work, put forth uh, the, the, the loyalty, then there is going to be naturally an, a, a reward. And it's not like some like evil, like I don't care about the father, I just want his money. That's not, the, the reward is oftentimes even relational, like the dad will love me and, and, and see me for who I am and I will, I, I will do that. And the, the dutiful son in, in, in all rightness felt that, Right? And this, isn't this our default setting, us humans? That, that whenever somebody gets something that we feel we deserve and they don't, and then we both get it, or we deserve and they don't, and they get it and we don't, isn't it our default setting to feel ticked off? You nod. This is where you nod. Yes, it's our default setting. Uh, I've just been home for a week with uh, children that should have been in school, right? I don't know about you guys, but I have. Uh, so my kids were awesome. I just, I got to say, uh, they have worked their tail off. They're a little ticked that when they found out that all these vacation days are going to be taken from other vacations, because they're like, this wasn't a vacation. I'm like, I know we worked so hard. So they, they really worked hard because they, they, they were helping all sorts of places get back together after the hurricane. But they were also home a lot, and it just reminded me, again, of our human nature to constantly assess what's fair and what's unfair, and who has what and who deserves what, and then to voice our opinions on that. And, and my children are the same way. Uh, if my children, if I say to my kids, listen, we're going to go out, we're going to work hard, and then when we're done working hard, then you'll be able to get a fill in the blank, you know, a great dessert, or we'll, we'll go out for lunch, or whatever. And then, you know, several of them work hard, and several of them don't work at all. <laughs> and then there's the expectation that there's only a few going to lunch, and then we all go to lunch, and that is not good, right? <laughs> uh, that's unfair! It's unfair! So, um... Imagine, imagine if you had six kids. I know, hard to imagine. Um, I have eight. Um, imagine if you had six, right? And two of your kids, uh, you, 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 had a, you had a thing going on, and two of your kids really did nothing. They didn't serve, they didn't help, they didn't participate in the family activities of working and serving. And then four of your kids, uh, they totally participated. They worked hard, okay? And then you gathered the six kids afterwards, and there was a reward that was going to be a gift, a gift given to the children. Imagine if this is what played out. Of the six kids, the two of the kids that worked really hard, they get the gift. Fair? Fair. Two of the kids that didn't work hard, they get the gift. Fair? Unfair. Two of the kids that worked hard don't get the gift. Woo! Okay, that's it. We're done, right? That's the context in which we're playing here in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's the context. It's a tough context, and here's why. Because from our human perspective, there was a group of people, ethnic Israel, 
They were the recipients of God's promises, the recipients of the prophets and all of the revelation of who God was, the recipients of God's protection, the recipients of God's presence, and the recipients of God's righteousness, the law, the, the, the tangible display of God's righteousness. And they were given the means by which they could know what to do with all that. And for generations, they have been working hard at being the dutiful children of God, following the law, doing what is right. Yes, not perfectly, I grant you that, but generally, uh, especially in comparison to the rest of pagan humanity, uh, certainly unbelievably moral and strong. So they've been doing that. Then there's been the Gentiles, and they are insane. They are the, they are the whiny, lying, temper tantruming, crazy, not helping, want all the reward kids, right? They just go nuts, do whatever they want. They're the younger son, if you will. And in every way, the clarity is that they do not deserve the grace and mercy of God. Certainly not relationship with God, rescue from God, or eternal life from God, right? Okay, great. And the trouble is that what we found out in the book of Romans as the gospel has been displayed is that those who did not belong to God, the Gentiles, they now, when they uh, express faith in Jesus and receive Jesus, they now belong to God. They get the reward. They get the gift, right? And then those who were the hard workers, the ethnic Israel, uh, some of them receive Jesus and they get the gift. And then there's a group of them, they don't receive Jesus, but they've worked hard and they've done their part and they don't get the gift. And so some questions have emerged. Do you understand why the questions are on the table? Wouldn't you ask them? I would. Okay. So they're just, they're just wrestling. The church in Rome, which is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, ethnic Israel, and the rest of the planet Earth, they are just wrestling through the gospel with Paul trying to go, okay, hold on. How does this work? I, I'm, I'm overjoyed that Jesus came, died, rose from the dead, and has rescued our souls, but, but what about my kinsmen who don't receive Jesus but have worked hard? And, 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 and tell me again why the pagans are in, right? I just want, I just want to figure this thing out. So that's what Paul's been dealing with. And in, in our most recent part of the context, we've been in Romans chapter 9, and, and we, we read these words. I just want you to listen to these words, and then we'll jump into our passage when, we, when we're ready. Listen to this, Romans 9, 25. As indeed it says in Hosea, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the, way, in the very place where it is said to them, they are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So there was the grand context in which we're in. Those who should not deserve the grace and mercy of God are recipients of it by nothing that they have done. They did no work. They did no work. They didn't participate in the righteousness of the law that was given to the people of God. They were lawless. And then yet they are now called the sons and daughters of God because they know Jesus. And then there's the group of ethnic Israel that also know Jesus. They were dutiful and did it. And they also now are recipients of the gift. They worked hard and they have Jesus but then there's the group that worked hard and don't have Jesus, and now they don't seem to be recipients of this gift to be children of God. Paul is going to answer that question for us now. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. 
page 1047, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide at the door, uh, if you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. So, uh, the Gentiles are in if they know Jesus. The ethnic Israel is in if they know Jesus. The ethnic Israel that don't know Jesus are out. What shall we say of this? What shall we say of this? That's exactly the sentence that Paul writes next, so that's why I'm saying it twice. Look, verse 30, what shall we say then? There's the question. Now, the next sentence I'm going to read is not a question. I want to be clear on that because sometimes I'm not paying attention to the punctuation, so I'm reading my own tone into Scripture, which is not safe because then you're misunderstanding Scripture. Pay attention to the punctuation because it tells you whether it is a question or a statement. And when you read a sentence that is a question, it comes across very differently than a statement. What Paul is not doing here is saying, what shall we say then? Shall we say this or shall we say that? That would be more like a hypothetical we're talking through. He's saying, what shall we say then? Question mark. And now he's going to say it. He's going to make a statement. It is not an easy statement. It is not a happy statement in the context of this particular question we're asking. But it is a statement, not a question. It's not for you to think about or for me to think about. It is to be said. And once it's said, then we can go nuts afterwards and go, what? But he's going to say it. Watch. Here we go. What shall we say then? Here's what we shall say. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. And that is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, ethnic Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Whoa. I hope you caught what was just said. Basically, is what he said. The group of people that did not work at anything, they have attained the prize, the, the, the gift, the righteousness that makes them right with God. And the group of people that worked really hard to attain the righteousness that makes them right with God, they did not succeed at attaining it. Nothing about that sounds fair. I did nothing and I got it. I did everything and I didn't. See what I'm saying? Why? Why can we say this? Why is this the case? How can this be the case? That's actually what Paul asks next. So you see, I'm just kind of following along. Here we go. Because, because remember, the Spirit of God is good to us. He understands our train of thinking as human beings. So as he inspires the authors of Scripture, he writes through them to us. And so we, he gets it. He gets it. Look at this. Look at this. Next question. Why? why? Why can we say this? How can we say this? And here's where the beauty of the mercy of God begins to emerge. Now remember, before we jump into the why, everything's moving toward Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. So remember what we're looking for here is what is the mercy of God here? Because this does not sound like mercy, does it? This does not sound like mercy, so we, we, we want to understand what's going on here so we can understand how can I get to Romans 12 and say, therefore in view of God's mercy, when really what I'm feeling is this is so unfair. So let's see. Let's see what's going on. Let's see what's happening. Why? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Huh. Now, if you're churchgoer, 
See, this is, this is the part I always laugh at us humans because we're all going to pretend we know what that means. We're all just going to go, hmm, faith and works again. No, I got it. Absolutely. What does that mean? Well, the, the, the Gentiles did it by faith. And these guys try to work at it. Ah, so, so stupid. If, well, then the principle is work at nothing. No. So what does this mean? Uh, that they, they, they worked at this as though it were a work and not by faith. This is the crux of why they didn't succeed at this righteousness that they worked at becoming a righteousness that would give them the prize, the gift, eternal life and rightness with God. Why is it that if you work at it as a work and not by faith that it does not succeed? Why? Now remember, in many ways, Paul's already answered this question in Romans, right? Well, that's what Romans 1 through 7 was all about, and then 8 as a combination. But he's kind of coming back to that, going, now remember what we talked about and how this works. Okay, so take a look, take a look. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as, a, uh, as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I am laying a, in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So there's a clue here as to what he's beginning to unpack. So he says, those who have worked at this and have now brought to the table their, their righteous works to attain the prize of rightness with God so they can have eternal life and relationship with God, and it did not succeed, here's the trouble. They worked at the works as though the works could make them right. But those who by faith have believed, they are righteous. What does this mean? There was a cornerstone or a stumbling block placed into the story that we stumble over if we are trying to work at this ourselves. But this stumbling block, though it is the very thing we trip over if we're trying to do it ourselves, is the very thing that becomes life to us if we're not trying to do it ourselves. And we believe by faith in the stumbling block. What does all that mean? Here we go. Ready? Ready? Watch. Okay. How many of you guys um, remember the eclipse? It's a, l a long time ago, before the hurricane. Remember that? <laughs> this is America. News two weeks old is like two, two trillion years old, right? There used to be an eclipse a long time ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, before the crisis was water and generators, what was, the, uh, what was the crisis? What did you drive from Walmart to Walmart and Target to Target to get? <laughs> Glasses! Those pathetic little piece of paper glasses with little dark shades on them. Could you find them like two days before? The, no, you couldn't. People were driving to North Carolina to buy them, right? I want to buy them so I could do what? What were the glasses for? To look at the eclipse. That's right, because you want to see the eclipse because the next time it comes around, you're dead, right? So this is your shot. By the way, P.S., you won't be dead. It's 2026. It's here in Orlando. But anyway, save your glasses. So you go find the glasses, right? And you wear the glasses because you were told, as I was, and this is true, so I'm not saying it's a lie, but if you look at the eclipse without the glasses, you go blind. That's right. I was driving in my car. One of my kids was driving like this uh, during, the, during the eclipse. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I don't want to look at the eclipse. I'm like, it doesn't actually work that way. It's not like if the eclipse happens, you start blinding people without the glasses on. But we were all panicked, weren't we? I mean, it was all over social media. Look away. Look away. But if you have the glasses, then you could look at the eclipse, right? And uh, if you didn't have glasses, they had all sorts of YouTube videos on how to jerry-rig a whole bunch of stuff so you could see the shadow on the ground, right? And then you're like, oh, oh, it's the eclipse. I'm staring at it. And then the guy with the glasses is like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> well, you're looking at the ground. It's a little shadow, but I'm looking at the actual eclipse. 
And someday when you're old and you say, I saw the eclipse, I'm going to say, no, you didn't. You saw a shadow on the ground. I saw the eclipse. Why? Because I had the, I had the glasses. <laughs> Any of you uh, wearing the glasses? Been wearing them the last week or so? During the hurricane, did you wear the glasses? <laughs> How'd that go for you? <laughs> Have you worn the glasses without an eclipse happening? What do you see when you wear them? Nothing. They're completely black. They're blinding. You put them on, you're like, uh, I thought the eclipse would blind me, but I feel blind now. It's, it's blinding. The glasses are only good for one thing. And what's that? To stare at an eclipse. That's it. Now, what if, what if you, <laughs> what if you and I bought the glasses and we didn't look at the eclipse? We didn't realize they were to look at the eclipse. We just thought the glasses were super cool. And when we put them on, we felt super cool. Ugh. And someone had told us that these glasses, you, you get them because you get to see awesome things. And so you put them on and it's blinding. It feels like a burden. It feels like it just kind of restricts everything. But, but they're yours and they make you cool and they make you better than the other people without the glasses. Can you imagine if we started walking around with eclipse glasses? That was the new thing. Mine are pink. Can you see anything? No, but they're cool. I'm walking slowly because I can't see anything and I might fall off the stage. Nobody wears the glasses just to wear the glasses because the point is never the glasses. The glasses are a tool to see the eclipse. Here's what Paul's saying. When the law came, its purpose was never to create in us a righteousness of our own so that we could bring our righteousness to God. Because the, the law, though it was good, was weakened by the sinful nature, the virus of sin in us. That's what, that, that was in Romans chapter 8. Remember that? So that's why I say Paul's already said this stuff. He's reminding us. The law, the, the, the law was not made to make us cool, to make us awesome, to make us better, to make us right, to, 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 to make us see. The law is actually a burden. It is a, it is a judgment. It is a, a schoolmaster. It is, it is a weight. That's what it says in the Bible. When it is being used as something it was not meant to be used for. A means to create my own righteousness. But when the law is a means by which I see God's righteousness and I see my unrighteousness and I realize I've got a problem, it forces in me a step that is unique, a unique word, a step of faith. Faith, by definition, is trusting something outside of yourself. When, when you are the driver in a car, you are not driving by faith. You are driving by control. Now, it's a false sense of control, and you actually should be driving by faith because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, but we feel good, don't we? Mm, if anything happens, I know what I can do right? Who's driving by faith? Everybody else in the car, right? Because if something happens, they have, they're just trusting you know what you're doing, which by the way, for some of you, you need to rethink that. Um, so I'm just saying, no, but you, you know, so you know, when you drive home this afternoon uh, from here, whoever's the passenger can look at the driver and say, I am living by faith. You on the other hand are a control freak. And so that, that'll be a nice little means by which you can just compare because that's what we do, right? Now, you see faith by definition is abandoning self-reliance and trusting something outside of yourself. That's with, that, that is the only way faith, this word faith, comes into play. Anything that is self-reliance isn't faith. It is me just trusting me. So it doesn't require faith. 
Here's what he's saying. For those who took the law that was meant to become a revelation, a clarity through which we can see the righteousness of God and our unrighteousness and be forced into a space that we ask a question about how we're ever going to be right with God. For those who started using the law as a means to self-righteousness, in other words, a righteousness of our own, you've stuck a pair of eclipse glasses on and you're walking around like this. (laughs) You don't have them? Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's terrible for you. You're going to miss out. And then I go, "On, on what? You know, the eclipse. Then I go, it happened six weeks ago. It's gone. See, nobody does that, but they were. We do. Why? Because our nature, our nature as human beings is self-reliance. It is our nature, especially in the Western culture. I mean, anything that's not self-reliance is charity, and who wants to be a charity case? And so he says, listen, why are the Gentiles in and the ethnic Israel that worked so hard and continue to work so hard on the law are out? Here's why. Because the law could never save you. See, the misunderstanding here is that you thought you were working hard. There it is. See, it's the kid outside going, "Eh, I worked so hard at this and he, my brother didn't and he's getting it. And then you go, you, you, I know it felt like you're working hard, but, but you weren't doing anything I asked. So what if those four kids that worked so hard, they weren't actually working at anything I told them to work at. They just worked. And all the jobs I needed done weren't done. Now, now it's not sounding so unfair anymore, is it? Now you're like, oh, no, no, no. They didn't do what I asked them to do. They didn't read my instructions. They didn't, they didn't do it my way. They just, they just ran out and started working on stuff that I'd already done. It already done. It was easy because I already did it. And then they came in like, oh, like, yeah, I, I did some work. Well, it, wasn't, it, it, it was useless. That's what Paul's saying. Now watch. Take a look. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I I love the Spirit of God through Paul and Paul's heart toward uh, humanity and toward, in this particular case, ethnic Israel that does not know Jesus. Because Paul constantly comes back to this, I'm not judging them. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not saying they're bad now and, and these guys are good. My heart breaks for them. I want them saved. I want them to see. I want them to take the stupid glasses off and to realize that the glasses only help them see the redemptive master who works it out. The glasses don't make them cool. But they're stuck on those glasses. I try to, give me the glasses. <laughs> no, I love my glasses. I'm sad for them, Paul says. Now look at this, look at this. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. There's, There's the why, right? I know you worked hard but you worked hard at something you couldn't do, something you couldn't accomplish, and you're ticked because you think the work you did, the sincerity of the work you did, should bode well in what needs to be accomplished. You want the job done, but you want it done because you were passionate about the work, not because you got the work done. 
because the thing you were working at was the wrong thing. You were working at your own righteousness. Uh, my, my wife and I, we were in a little cooking class last night in Orlando, a uh, place where they do like, you know, they show you how to make sushi and it was kind of fun. And there was this guy that was making sushi, uh, just a, a, a giant of a man and he's like just really tough and he made this giant sushi roll that was like, I mean, literally like this big. And, and so the chef was kind of saying to him, well, that's, uh, it's a little bit big. I mean, it's just, you know, it's hard to, and he's like, no, I mean, this, this is the way I do it. And then uh, you know, you make these beautiful little sushi rolls with the little sprinkles on them and stuff. And he says, I, you know, my problem is I'm not creative. So the, 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 the chef immediately jumps in right away and he goes, oh, you, you can't say that. What, what you speak is, is, is what is true. And so one, I wanted to put my hand up and say, that's not actually true, by the way. You can speak lots of idiot things and they're not any more true just because you speak them. So, but I didn't say that. I don't want to offend him. And so I was like, what, what you speak is true, apparently. And so, um, and, and then he said to him, you know, um, you, you can do anything. You can do anything. So my brain immediately went to, okay, can he throw a car across the parking lot? I want to see that. Can he jump off a 10-story building and land on his feet? Mm, no, no, not that. Can he fly without an airplane? No, no, he can't do that. Can he even love his well, wife well? I, I don't even know if he can do that because I, I struggle with that. So see, this, this insanity in which we live in, we, you can do anything. America lied to you. You can't do anything. In fact, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. Even the stuff you want to do, that you know you should do, that you're perfectly capable of doing, you don't do. Nor do I. So th it's baloney. We can't do anything. And this is the trouble. This is the trouble we live in. Because our, our, our obsession with self-reliance, it kills us when it comes to things we cannot do. We cannot create a righteousness of our own. Even with the law. Because the law's purpose, its capacity to allow us to create a righteousness of our own doesn't exist. The law, though it was good, was weakened by our sinful nature. We cannot do it. What Paul's trying to say here is what you are seeing as unfair isn't unfair. It's just not possible. And so you think you've done it, but you haven't done it because nobody can. Which should lead us to this conclusion that if nobody could do it, whether they had the law or didn't have the law, which is what all of the book of Romans has already shown us, then the fact that Jesus did it and he makes himself available to us, whether we are the dutiful son or whether we are the insane young one who took off and squandered everything, Jew or Gentile, the grace and mercy of God is equally expressed to all. And we should go, that's amazing. I can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. The two kids that worked hard, the other two kids that worked hard, and the two kids that didn't, none of them could do it. None of them could do the job. But dad did the job for them and gave them the prize. That's what we ought to be focused on. I tell my kids all the time, you're so busy being concerned about what's fair and unfair and what you have and others don't that you don't see what's right in front of you and you don't celebrate what you actually have, what your father lays before you. And this is what we do all the time. And so Paul says here, I want them saved. Don't you understand? I give them this. They are full of zeal for God. See, he's not even saying, oh, those evil uh, ethnic Jewish people, they don't care about God. They just care about their own self-righteousness. Because aren't we quick to judge? Uh, you know, their problem is they don't care about God. No, they absolutely care about God. You think they're working at self-righteousness uh, uh, just to show themselves cool? No, they want to have right relationship with God. They do. Paul was the one that said, as far as zeal, I have more than anybody else on the planet. He even dared to say, as far as the law, flawless. I mean, Paul said, 
I had more sincerity and passion and moral uh, resolve than anybody else on planet earth. And where did that get Paul? Nowhere. We live in a society right now, by the way, that is beginning to believe more and more, and many of us even do, that as long as we are sincere with what we believe, then God will give us kudos for that. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me on this very carefully. Though I would love for that to be true, that would make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Truth has never adjusted itself to our passions or our sincerities. Truth is truth with or without us, and it is lies with or without us. And if you sincerely embrace an untruth, it remains an untruth, and it will not produce the things you hope it does just because you are super sincere about it. Sincerity is an insanity in the Western culture that allows us to tell everyone that they're okay and have everyone believe whatever they want so we don't have to offend each other. But the trouble is truth is always something we discover, not something we create. And so here he says, I am sorry you're so sincere about this. That's what Paul says. I'm sorry you have such a zeal for God. But as long as you're working at this righteousness as your own, it cannot produce eternal life. It cannot produce eternal life because it cannot produce justification, making you right with God. And if you aren't right with God, in other words, if you aren't righteous, then you can't make it. Your righteousness has to be by faith. What does that mean? It has to be something outside of yourself that you realize this needs to be from somewhere else. And the only one, the only one that has ever effectively fulfilled righteousness is God himself. Jesus Christ walking on this planet. That's why he is the savior, because he is the righteous one. And we take on his righteousness because he lets us, because he gave himself for us. Now watch. Everything I've just said all comes together in this single sentence. This is a sentence you would read a million times in the Bible and pass on by, and I would dare say it's one we all ought to put to memory because this next sentence takes everything I've just said and it just puts it all into one beautiful, wondrous, extraordinary moment. Listen to this. <clears throat> Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There, there it is. You're like, I'm waiting. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. Mm, still not, because what does it mean? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard this statement? Folks, the end goal is. Ever heard that? Why do we use that statement? Because we're all busy doing a whole bunch of stuff and we need reminding that the stuff we're doing isn't the point, right? So we say, Remember, the end goal is something other than what we're doing. The things we're doing are necessary, they are important, but they are in of themselves, not the end goal. You with me? The law and living righteously by the law is not the end goal. It's not the end goal. It is simply a tool by which before we know Jesus, we see him and we see ourselves and by faith we come to know him. And after we know Jesus, we know the beautiful invitation and privilege we have to live righteously, not because we have to earn it, but because we now get to do it. The law is a gift to us to see him, know him and pursue him. It is not in of itself the end goal. And here's what this sentence just said, okay? The end goal of the law was always Jesus. 
the end goal of the law was always to show us Jesus. The law is the glasses through which we get to see the Savior in clarity in His righteousness and get to see ourselves in clarity in our unrighteousness and get to see in clarity the magnitude of the mercy and grace it took to bridge that gap. And when we see that, we move immediately from zeal and passion and sincerity of working out our own righteousness. We move to humility and clarity and desperation. And we birth in that the beautiful space for faith where God initiates and creates faith so that we believe not in ourselves but outside of ourselves in Christ. The end goal of the law is Christ. Let me read it again. Hear it now. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Not who works, but who believes. Because that is our mercy. This leaves me with two things that I would love to leave with you. One practical and one just to eat away at everything in your soul that is against God so that you would see the beauty of His mercy. Ready? Practical. Here we go. Okay? You and I, we are still just as caught up as ever in how cool our glasses are. I don't know what your glasses are, but all of you have a pair, maybe several pairs. Maybe it's how many devotions you do a week. How many do you do? I, 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 every third day. I'm every day. Comes in my email. I read it. How many times do you attend church? How, many, how involved are you in activities at the church? Are you serving in 47 teams and three missional communities and you attend four of the gatherings? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Maybe it's how good of a wife or husband you are or father or mother or daughter or sibling or friend you are or coworker you are. I don't know what it is that you extract your value from that says to you, you are okay. You are good. God is proud of you. God, God is happy with you. Whatever that is, Know that you are wearing a pair of glasses, and those glasses, you are utilizing them to make yourself feel better about yourself and your spirituality and maturity than you are using them to see Jesus. If you, are, if you are practicing any of the disciplines of the faith, memorizing scripture, studying it, jumping in, reading, if you're doing devotions every week, if you are effectively trying to love your spouse or your children or your parents or your siblings or your friends, if you are trying to be a good coworker with somebody, if you're trying to do good in the world, if you're trying to give of your resources, whatever it is you're trying to do, if you are doing it so that you feel better about your standing with God, then they are just a pair of dark glasses that are burdensome and blinding. But if you are doing it to see Jesus better, to know him more, to experience the sharing in his life as you share in his suffering so that you might also share in the glory of his redemption as it unfolds on this planet, then those things are purposed and beautiful. And you can always tell whether they're just a pair of glasses or whether they're helping you see Jesus because when they're just a pair of glasses, when you don't do them well, you feel super guilty. I'm so terrible. Welcome to planet human. We're all terrible in many ways. But Jesus has redeemed our terribleness and made us beautiful. And our beauty is not in what we accomplish now. It's in that he saved us and that he purposes us and that he finishes a story in us, that he 
began in us and that he, he wraps us in as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for us to do. These are our beauties. So that's the first thing. Here's the second. This is the one that should eat away at the things in your soul that are against God and cause you to be captivated by the wonders of God. Ready? Whoever you are, you are undeserving of the grace of God. You should be left to your own vices to try to earn your own way to God with your own self-righteousness, only to find yourself miserably failing at it and being damned for all of eternity. But Jesus came and did the work for us. And the Father accomplished what he needed for us so that we wouldn't have to, so that we get the prize without the work. If that doesn't bring you to your knees every day with gratitude that you are an undeserving son or daughter as am I, and yet he has given us the prize, then nothing ever will. So may we find ourselves in awe again of the wonder of God's grace and mercy and not stare around at who's better or who's worse, but instead stare deeply into what God has done for us so that all that we do causes us to put some glasses on, whether it's the things we do, whatever, and see Jesus instead of feeling better about ourselves because of what we do in self-reliance. This is the gospel. Let's pray. God, you are extraordinary, gracious, and merciful to all of your people. Help us to remember that all that we bring to the table, though we as humans constantly compare and say, oh gosh, I did more than him or her, therefore I must gain more of your favor than him or her. God, would you eradicate that kind of thinking from our minds because it only leaves us thinking too much of ourselves and too little of you. Instead, God, remind us that we are the undeserving and you have done a work we could not for us so that we might receive a prize we should not because of you. You, Jesus, are the end goal of the law, the end goal of the prophets, the end goal of the revelation of scripture, the end goal of the entire story of history. You are the end goal of our life, the end goal of our story. You are the end goal of all things because to you, belongs all the glory and all the honor and all the praise and we are just overwhelmed that we get to be a part of what brings honor, glory and praise to you because you have saved us and now see fit to use us. We love you. We honor you and we thank you that you are now our cornerstone, our foundation, our safe place, our life. Not a stumbling block to us but where we plant our feet by faith, trusting in your righteous work for our righteousness, that we might be right with you because of your grace and your mercy to us. We love you, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.